We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to the Planet Mask Podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me David Grumps, and he's the co-founder of Boss Club, which is about entrepreneurship education for middle school and high schools. And, you know, this allows kind of a training opportunity for any young entrepreneur that actually wants to start their very first own business. So I wanted to thank you again, David, for, you know, not just taking out the time to kind of explain what you do with that organization, but, you know, kind of, uh, you know, how you started out and your own personal experiences with entrepreneurship and startups that have, uh, you know, given you kind of key lessons they can share to other young professionals. Hey, thank you so much for having me on and I uh, appreciate the opportunity and Anything we can do to, to help fellow entrepreneurs, especially those that are just getting started, uh, more than happy to do. So excited to share uh, lessons learned over the last 20 years of, of being a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I wanted to kind of start off. Uh, really, my first question was, you know, to ask about your upbringing. You know, were you very entrepreneur? Did you have an entrepreneurial mindset um, coming from an early age? I don't know if it's an entrepreneurial mindset, but certainly um, started from a young age, always wanting to start a business. So um, typical, you know, lemonade stand style things early on in my development. But uh, one thing I did know early on is I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so everything that uh, I had received from Christmas gifts to birthday gifts to uh, money I had earned throughout middle school and high school was all saved uh, from you know age three, four, or five on uh, because I knew eventually I would need startup funds to to start a business. And so, uh, come my freshman year at college at Baylor University, um, I, I was uh, presented with that opportunity. So I was in some intro to business classes, uh, just got the bug and and knew it was kind of the right time to go ahead and get started, just because I was in a environment where, you know, I had time and very little outside responsibilities. And so it was a great time to be able to experiment and try new things and and to start my first business. So actually, my parents, uh, to their credit, were extremely supportive of this. And they even mentioned that, you know, we'll give you $50,000 towards your MBA, or um, you can use that for startup funds for your first business. And so I immediately took those funds and, and started my first business and added all of the savings I had acquired from the last, you know, 18 years of life and uh, and launched my first business. So it was a, a really great great experience. Definitely my first of, of over 20 startups. And it's uh, been a great journey ever since. Mm-hmm. And I remembered seeing that like in kind of some recent articles about, you know, we kind of mentioned the working with, you know, over 20 startups. Was that like, uh, you know, how did that kind of layout go? Was it like one startup after a time? Were you doing like multiple business at one point? Like what was, uh, you know, what was that workload like? 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I definitely wouldn't recommend it. So, I, I, you know, early on in my career, I was working on two to three different businesses at any given time. And the bad part about that is it just really kills focus uh, because different parts of the day, you're having to jump to different tasks associated with different projects completely. And not only that, but starting a business really has a strong momentum effect. And, and so once you launch a business, it can take two, three years for you to start to see the benefits of that momentum. And that to build up momentum, you really have to be able to focus on something. And uh, if you're distracted and all over the place, it's just not going to happen. And uh, and so I've learned a little bit later in my career to to focus on one thing and and grow that thing. And and uh, it has made my life so much easier. And uh, definitely the work life balance has has also benefited from it as well. So yes, early in my career, um, I think I just had business ADD and was just really excited about a lot of things. And as I've gotten older and I don't know, matured a little bit, I've seen the the woes in that way. So if, if you are in that boat, um, if you've started your first business and you're considering, you know, number two or number three at, while you're running the first one, I, I would strongly caution you against doing that. Um, if you if you desire to have multiple businesses going, there's certainly ways to do that. And uh, my advice would be to take one, run with it, scale it, get it to the point where it's you know, making good revenue and good profit to the point where you're able to hire someone to run that full time as as a CEO and uh, and to take that off your plate so that it's running virtually passively. You're just checking in on it once a month until you get to that point. It's a really bad idea to start multiple businesses. What was like the I, I guess like the max you ever took at like one point in time? Like where was the most like ventures you had in like a single period? I think three was where I always capped out. But what's interesting about that is that running a single business later in my career produced probably, you know, 100x the results. Um, and it's because we were able to scale that single business and that single idea uh, much larger and to hire the staff and the team and to build the infrastructure necessary to build a meaningful corporation. And so it, you know, with with that focus, you can just put so much more time, energy and effort into something than if you get pulled multiple directions. And and so I just really caution against running multiple things at once. But because later in my career, I was much, much more successful. And I, I would attribute a large portion of that success to simply focus. And I was going to ask, um, you know, involved with that amount of businesses with, you know, 20 startups, how many of them, I guess, were, you know, successes moving forward and, you know, how many of them had to close or, you know, weren't successes? So, yeah, it's a good question. I, I would say about half of them generated the results we were looking for and, and some did quite well. We, we had one uh, particular company called First Engineering Group where we actually started a line of workout supplements. So I took... Uh, you know, personal funding. And then we raised a, a loan from Wells Fargo for about $30,000. And the, the rest of the company we started on an American Express card. And so we sold workout supplements online. And we started a website, we bought initial inventory, we found a warehouse that would ship orders for us. And uh, we started um, media buying. So we're buying large sums of ads online across various websites and doing a lot of split testing in order to figure out a winning model where our ads would turn profitable. And uh, by the 101st day, so a little over three months into it, uh, we were profitable and growing very rapidly. And we paid back all our loans and paid off the credit card. And so over the course of about six months, we went from uh, you know a couple of new customers per day 
buying these supplements to over 2,500 new customers a day. And uh, it was pretty remarkable growth that happened very, very quickly. Um, we also went from about $0 a month in revenue to over $2 million a month in sales. And uh, as a result of the growth, it was kind of crazy because we we're having to manage all kinds of new problems, including you know customer support. Before we were handling customer support via email and live chat on our own. It was just me and a business partner. And we very quickly had, had to scale up. And so we had to open our own call center. And so we started out with a, a little office in Addison, Texas, and then ended up having to open a whole separate call center over near Richardson. And as a result of that too, you have all kinds of logistical nightmares. You go from shipping orders out of your house uh, to having to deliver you know, well over 3,000 orders a day because some of our customers are on subscription. And so we had to set up a warehouse. So we actually opened a warehouse over in Garland and we were storing our inventory and our product over there and having to staff up and, and find people to manage the warehouse. And, and so we went from you know two people and a dog to 53 employees in about six months. And so it was just very rapid, kind of crazy growth. And it, it led to opening essentially three different businesses because we were running our, our primary business to selling these supplements, but we also had to open our own call center and our own warehouse to, to support the growth. And so it was quite a wild ride. I, I kind of refer to it as my real life MBA outside of school and, and it was a great experience. So you, you get everything from, you know, a business idea you try and it doesn't work out all the way to sometimes you, you hit a home run and, and things go well. Uh, and so, you know, that's life as an entrepreneur. It's a roller coaster. You're not always going to hit a home run, but the great thing about, uh, business and bait and, you know, baseball is that in baseball, if you hit a home run, the max number of points you get is four, you had to go hit a grand slam and you've got four points. You hit a home run in, in entrepreneurship and business, and it can be life changing. And sometimes it can be changing from a generational standpoint. And so if you only really need one or two good home runs and then things can go well from there. And is there any like a, I guess, advice or tips that you might give to a new entrepreneur, I guess, in a similar situation where I guess maybe their business is starting to do well and, um, you know, their sales are going up and they want to maybe expand at a, a reasonable rate and not grow too fast? Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, that was the problem that we had. We, we grew too fast. Um, I mean, it's very, very hard to hire a handful of employees over the course of you know, three or four months. It's nearly impossible to hire well uh, 53 employees in six months. And so, and that's what we did. And, and as a result of our growth and, and growing so fast, um, it creates uh, potential problems down the road. You know, your team is everything. And if you've got a group of really smart people dedicated to what you're doing behind you, then you can weather a lot of storms. But if, if you don't hire a great team and you don't manage that hiring process well, then, you know, that creates problems. And so for us, we had a lot of growing pains as a result of this rapid growth. And so my recommendation is if you're an entrepreneur and you're finding yourself in a similar place where you feel like you're just going crazy trying to keep up and keep up with this thing and you've got the tiger by its tail, I would encourage you to slow down. And so something we've learned now in our career is when we have been able to generate that level of growth again, is we actually pull back on the reins a little bit. And what's interesting about that experience for me is that I probably could have managed to generate 80, 85% of those same sales with a team of 10. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of diminishing returns here, especially when you're growing that rapidly. And the other thing is every little bit of additional overhead you adopt 
i.e. in our case, we had three offices we were paying rent on. We now had 53 employees we were having to, to pay, uh, you know, salaries on and, and all kinds of other overhead that you just can't even imagine pops up when you scale. Um, that creates risk for your business because if for some reason you have some sort of downturn in your sales, which naturally happens anyway, even if you have a great business that's growing, um, you know, you're in trouble. And so, you know, safety for your business is really related to overhead. And if you can just pull back the reins just a little bit, keep your overhead low, you're going to create so much more stability for your business. And it's also safer for you and your employees um, who, who you have to feed. So anyway, I would just recommend if you find yourself in a place of just aggressive growth, just realize that, you know, don't don't go chase after these shiny objects or these ambitious goals you have. It's it's more important to have a career than a one hit wonder. Um, and so build something that's stable, that's going to last a long time, not something that shoots off like a rocket and you try to keep up with it. It creates problems in your business and then, and then you're having to, uh, burden yourself with all this additional risk and potentially implode the business. And so I would just say, pull back, just realize you don't have to build your estate or empire in one day that this is something you can build over years. And like with the idea behind that and with the success, and when you kind of mentioned um, being able to let go of the reins a little bit, was like the success of this, did you want to still kind of put 100% your focus into the business or, you know, were you wanting to try out new startups or be able to work with new ventures? Well, uh, you know, the business, uh, you know, after that period of hiring so many people in that rapid growth for six months, uh ooh the business needed a lot of work to fix the problems we created for ourselves. And so over the next couple of years, we ended up fixing that. We saved the business uh, and we ran it for five or six years and it was an incredible experience. But what was interesting for me is that I was, as I was doing that and I was meeting personal income targets and, and all of that, uh, you know, it was a wild ride and it was really, really, really exciting. We were probably one of the fastest growing startups in, in the United States those years. And so that was just tremendously exciting. But uh, for me, we were selling vanity. And so I was selling weight loss supplements. I was selling workout supplements. I was selling, we even ended up opening our own line of skincare products, uh, specifically in the anti-aging segments. And there's nothing wrong with those products nor with those industries. But for me personally, after I'd kind of reached these income targets, I was looking for more meaning in my life. And so if you're going to spend hours and hours of your day and years of your life building something, um, you know, I, I was kind of looking at the impact I was having on the world. And, and if I continued to do that for another 20, 30 years with my career, what would I look back on? And, and would my impact be something I was proud of? And in this case, it was a resounding no for me. And so that's where I was really looking for meaning. And this was about the time I got married. I went off on a honeymoon and I, I had learned how to sell things online in volume. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we had over a million customers across the United States. And so it was like, we, we learned how to sell things online effectively and profitably. How do you do this to then, you know, make a positive impact on the world? And so I, I ended up starting a, a coffee company as kind of a, a little side hustle, a little pro side project just to experiment with this a little bit. Um, my wife and I, uh, when we got married, both agreed that one day we'd like to adopt. And so we went for a honeymoon in Kenya and Tanzania for a month. And for half of that honeymoon, we actually spent it at a couple of different orphanages. What was interesting is we were a very, very rural area of Kenya. And around the orphanage, um, the, the orphanage was surrounded by coffee plantations. 
And what's interesting about that is that struck me as interesting that that was the crop nearby. And, you know, you could feed 100 kids at this orphanage for $1,000 a year. It, they just didn't have that many expenses. And so how do, how do you, you could obviously just give them cash, but that's not sustainable. That's one, it kind of ruins the local market. And two, it, it's not something that teaching them to feed themselves. And so the best way you can help the developing world is by the products or services that they make. And so as I was looking at these coffee uh, plants and the plantation around the orphanage, I, I kinda, it kind of struck me funny is that after doing some research, we learned that some of the best coffees in the world were, were grown right on the other side of the fence of this orphanage. And so that's when we came back and we started this coffee company true coffee company to be able to start selling exotic coffees from around the world from the developing regions that we wanted to support anyway and so i did that and, and sold coffee on subscription for a while we ended up selling the company last year to focus on my next project the project i plan on doing for the next 20 or 30 years of my life which is uh, boss club and so anyway i think for me now that you know i've kind of at least figured out at a high level how to sell things online and how to make a certain business type and business model work. Now I want to, you know, do something meaningful with my time and with my energy. And it just makes life so much more rewarding, so much more fun and something that you wake up every morning, just excited about the thing you get to go build that day instead of hawking more vanity and workout supplements and skincare products, trying to convince people they'll be skinnier and younger. So Anyway, that's that's been kind of the journey. And so now we're working on projects that are just deeply meaningful to me to the core and and working with a team that, you know, thinks likewise and, and hopefully having a, a large impact on society as a result of that. And I was wondering, like, on kind of that, you know, that transition and the importance of, you know, your travels and your kind of work with True Coffee that allowed you to, I guess, understand, you know, the importance of finding something meaningful. I was wondering if you had any, like, uh, any advice to maybe any young professionals starting out that maybe they're in a corporate environment, maybe they're good at their job, but it's not something they're truly passionate in, or, you know, they don't see, uh, kind of like you were saying, like the meaningful work and kind of something that they would look back on as, you know, something that was a huge benefit to society. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a tough problem. Um, your most valuable resource is your time. And, you know, there's multiple ways that you can, kind of approach the problem. Um, certainly having a corporate job uh, is, is a great thing because you're able to you know sustain yourself and your family as a result of that. And, and so I, certainly nothing wrong with that. But if it's something that you're looking for more and, and you're trying to make a bigger impact or have more meaning, I, I certainly would encourage you to pursue that and lean into it. And there's a variety of different ways you can do that. Um, you can use it as a side hustle or a side project or something you do outside of working hours. Um, you can use your corporate job to to fund it. Um, and so it allows you to get it started and scaled. And, and maybe at some point in your career, you this side hustle turns into your full-time job and you can leave corporate America and, and go do that. I know my co-founder at Boss Club uh, was in corporate M&A. Um, and we built Boss Club together in his night and weekend times. Uh, while he was in his corporate job working, you know, very, very long hours in that, but he, he dedicated time to this. And two years later, he ended up leaving his corporate gig to go pursue boss club with me full time. And so it was a, a great transitionary, you know, asset for him to be able to have a job that paid the bills and supported his wife and family in the meantime. Um, 
And so it can be a transitionary thing. Maybe you just do it as a side hustle or maybe one day it, it turns into something bigger. So, I, I mean, I definitely wouldn't just quit your job and, you know, go for it. Uh, I think there can be a way to test the waters, make sure your idea is working and, and start generating revenue. And if it does, then, you know, get it to the point where it's, it's paying you an equal or greater salary than your corporate gig. And then, hey, make that transition if that's something you feel called to do. And kind of with, uh, you know, when we mentioned the idea of boss club, uh, you know, really when you kind of like realize that you want to have a greater impact on, you know, society in general, after True Coffee, you know, how did that idea originally pop up? Um, You know, did you know uh, the other co-founder before the business or, you know, how did that start? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, True Coffee was always meant to be kind of a side hustle. And, you know, I was just kind of dabbling my toe in the water and trying to, you know, experiment with the model of can you can you make a deeper impact while making a great profit? And uh, I I had worked with Charlie Gassmeyer, who's my co-founder at Boss Club on previous startups. In fact, we started a, a high tech company that we ended up selling off to a merchant bank um, back in 2008. And, and so we had a great experience and, and we always wanted to work together again. And we were just looking for an opportunity. And so we had always had kind of quarterly phone calls with each other, just checking in and, and seeing if we had anything. And finally we realized that something we're deeply passionate about, um, is entrepreneurship because we just, we know how life-changing that can be for people, whether or not you become an entrepreneur. And in fact, I taught entrepreneurship at Baylor for three years uh, as an adjunct faculty member in a, in a program where, that we started where we gave students funding to start real businesses over the course of a semester. And then eventually the program grew out into a year-long program. But the whole idea is, hey, let's give these 12 kids $20,000 in funding to go start businesses and, and they have to go make revenue and they have to generate profit by the end of the program. And ideally, they walk away with a job. And so they created a job for themselves by the time they graduate. And so we just had so much fun running that program. And there were so many really cool stories and just lives changed through that. Um, but the, the lesson learned from that after going through that for three years was that entrepreneurship needs to be taught so much younger. We were having a really hard time recruiting kids in the program that had started businesses of any kind. I'm talking, you know, just lemonade stands or things on the corner of lawn care businesses in high school. And we were just having a hard time finding these kids. And so recruitment became a challenge. You know, it's kind of funny that you have problems recruiting kids into the program where they get free funding to go, you know, start businesses. But that was the case. And so Charlie and I uh, decided that's what we wanted to do. And so we started Boss Club as a way to teach entrepreneurship to kids as early as elementary school. And, and so we started out by doing that through these Boss Club business kits where we have these predefined businesses that kids can start over the course of a weekend and make you know their first $50, $100 in sales in a couple of days. And so it's kind of like a Lego kit, but for business. And so we include all the ingredients, all the packaging, all the supplies, including a very detailed guidebook that walks them step by step through the process of starting about five different types of businesses they can pick from. And so that was kind of our foray into this. And it was just a side hustle. We were doing it again, nights and weekends and just for fun. And it ended up taking off. We, we sold out of our first run of inventory. We ordered more. We sold out again. We ordered more. We sold out again. And so we thought, hmm, there must be something here. And uh, we got excited. And eventually we got contacted by Prestonwood Christian Academy, which is one of the largest private schools in North Texas. 
and also Baylor about writing middle school and high school curriculum so that they could take kind of the model that we created at Baylor at the university level and apply that to middle schools and high schools across the country. And so we did that uh, in conjunction with Baylor and with Prestonwood Christian Academy. And uh, we were hoping for, you know, 10 schools to come on and join us for a pilot program. We ended up with 35 across the country and, you know, 18 months later, now we're in over 140 schools across the country. And so it's just been a blast creating these young entrepreneurs and and just exposing them to it because it's such a cross-curricular thing. I know in, in middle school and high school, I was really struggling. If there was a subject that I couldn't mentally apply to something I would do later in the real world, I really struggled with it because there wasn't like real world application. Like, why am I learning this? And, uh, you know, entrepreneurship really provides that experience. You know, you're applying your math skills and calculating your financial statements. You're using public speaking skills and language arts skills to communicate with customers and make marketing materials. And what's great about it is these kids are starting real businesses. And so they're making money starting something in class in middle school and high school. And so it's an extremely memorable experience. And it's something they'll take with them the rest of their lives, whether or not they choose to be entrepreneurs or not. Because what they can do is now they can think about, hey, this is something I'm skilled at doing. It's something I'm passionate about. I just want to go do that. But the tools entrepreneurship gives you is say, okay, now let's teach you how to make a living and to feed your family in the process. So that not only can you go pursue that for your rest of life, but you can also support yourself doing it. And so we're just, you know, really, really excited about it. And it's been a tremendous experience. And and uh, now, you know, we've got 3,000 kids a year going through the program learning how to do this. And it's it's been amazing to see some of the stories. You know, on average, these kids are generating, you know, $150 in a semester. But you get these top 10, 15% of kids going through the program, they're going nuts. We've got a little girl in the Northeast selling $2,000 a month in dog treats. And uh, we've got another little girl in Waco, Texas that sold $800 in cake pops and donated 20% back to the St. Jude's Hospital Department that saved her life. She's a cancer survivor. And so it's just really cool, amazing things that come out of it. And so that's kind of the impact that wanting, wanting to make for the next 20, 30 years of my working career and, and something we're going to end up building uh, long term. Definitely. And I wanted to ask on, you know, the impacts that Boss Club is making. You kind of originally touched up on, you know, with your work with Baylor and some of the kids coming in. And I thought it was it was unique when you're kind of mentioning on, you know, kind of how difficult it was to find uh, kind of self-starting entrepreneurs. And I was kind of wondering, you know, it kind of I guess the environment now versus maybe the environment that you were growing up. Is there any reason why, you know, maybe you're uh, finding less entrepreneurs in today's age versus maybe kind of in the environment that you were in? You know, I think that's a good question. I, I think maybe it's just, uh, you know, maybe there um, a lot of kids weren't aware that there's entrepreneurship as a major option at the collegiate level. Uh, I mean, when I went through, uh, I didn't sign up for uh, entrepreneurship. I ended up as a finance major. And so I had a degree in finance from Baylor. It wasn't until later that I really got inspired by the entrepreneurship department. And to their credit, the professors in the entrepreneurship department were a huge asset and huge mentors for me uh, in my college career, even though I wasn't even in entrepreneurship. Um, and so, you know, I think part of it is just understanding what options are available to you and, and then getting a little experience of it and kind of catching the bug, so to speak, early on in life. Because the later in life you wait to start a business, the more responsibilities you typically inherit. So in you know, middle school, high school, you have very little financial responsibility. 
I mean, you don't have a mortgage, car payments, you're probably not supporting a wife and children. And, and so as you get older, more and more responsibilities then make starting a business harder because you're taking inherent risk doing that. And so the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can get reps under your belt, the sooner you can learn that recipe and that formula to starting businesses, the more successful you will be and the lower risk associated with starting a business. And so I, I think, you know, as kids in this next generation, just learn what options are available and how to just, just how to do it. Most people want to start a business at some point in their life. They just don't know where to start. And so being able to get a rep under the belt with, you know, something relatively small just answers all those questions and kind of removes the mystery behind it. And, and so that's why we're really excited. And I think, you know, when I was younger, it was much harder to start businesses. Honestly, um, you can start a business for a tenth of the funding and much faster these days than you could back in, you know, 2000. And so I'm, I'm actually really excited for the next generation is I think it's going to open a lot more doors than, than I had when I was, when I was then, I mean, my, my first business, I had to go raise angel funding. So we, we ended up closing nearly a million dollars in funding. And I spent three or four years developing software today. Most of that software that I had to go build manually for three to four years and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in technical talent, you can go buy online for $30 a month. And so, you know, the, there's just so many more opportunities now. And I think that's really exciting. And with like some of the kids that you work with in Boss Club, you kind of touch up on the idea of uh, kind of with the Internet and uh, other things, streamlining processes that they can get things done in a tenth of the funding. When it comes to like the actual, you know, kids, is there any like personality traits or any qualities that you see in like the new generation of entrepreneurs that maybe wasn't around or, you know, as common, uh, you know, in your, um, you know, period of entrepreneurship? You know, I, I think there's always in general personality traits that kind of stick out from generation to generation. But at the end of the day, I, I think humans are humans and we've been relatively you know, the same throughout history, even going back 2000 years, where at the end of the day, we're people. And uh, even back in ancient Roman times, we, people still had the same kind of de desires and aspirations and, and even traits. Now, society changes along with it. And certainly society has shifted and changed and culture continues to adapt over the decades. And so, yes, things are definitely different today than they were uh, when I was in school. But I, I would say the same traits apply today as if you want to be an entrepreneur, a lot of this can be learned. Um, so it's not like if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really have that trait or that's not one of my strong suits. I, I had to learn most of this stuff, uh, to, to become successful in, in business. And a good example of that is by nature, I'm not a great salesperson. Um, uh, but you know, that's a core tenet of having a business. And so I, I had to go teach myself that stuff and I had to learn that stuff. So I don't know. I think the traits are very similar and, and I think it's, it's going to continue to be very similar. And, and those are, you know, tenacity and grit and endurance and just understanding that, um, by the nature of the animal entrepreneurship is an up, to, up and down roller coaster ride. You're going to have awesome days. You're going to have days that you really question your decisions to become an entrepreneur and everything in between. And, I can speak from experience now having done this for 20 years and never having a real job, so to speak. I've always been an entrepreneur that, you know, those, those peaks and valleys will smooth out eventually. And not only that, but if this is something you're truly passionate about and something that lights you up and that, that you want to do with your life, you'll figure out a way 
And so even in the ups and downs, um, you can certainly create a career out of it. And, and sometimes a very lucrative one. And so it, the risk can certainly pay off if you stick with it. And I think that comes back to the, this whole idea of just never giving up. If this is something you truly believed you were put on the world or on this planet to do, um, don't give up. And eventually you're going to figure it out. It's just sticking with it long enough that you learn all the aspects of business that you need to in order to put the pieces of the puzzle together. You know, eventually you're going to figure it out. Eventually you're going to figure out that formula and eventually it's going to click. And then you're going to start finding a success and then another and things start to build. And that momentum that I talked about earlier really builds and, um, you know, sales get easier, things start growing, you start finding scale and then, you know, you, you start to figure it out. And the interesting thing is, is this is not something you can just read in books. Like it really requires you to learn by doing. And that's, that's part of the reason why we're so excited about teaching kids at an early age and doing it through a class is they're actually doing it. So they're not just reading in a textbook, but they're actually running a business and the effort they put in is the reward they get out of it. And so, I don't know, if, if you're sitting here and you're kind of on the fence on whether or not you should start a business, um, I, I would recommend giving it a shot. And if it's something you turn out being passionate uh, about and that's something you want to do with your life, then I would just dive in and, and not give up. Eventually, you're going to figure it out. But it's, it's something that takes time. You don't plant a seed and expect a tree the next day. Um, it's going to take time. Uh, but if, if it's something you love, then, hey, time is worth it. You speak, uh, you're kind of speaking a lot on the qualities of kind of having grit as an entrepreneur and being able to kind of roll the punches in different situations. And I can imagine like the COVID-19 pandemic being, you know, such a wild ride for, you know, an entrepreneur program where you kind of teach, you know, these uh, entrepreneur traits to younger generations. Was there anything that you know, maybe you're impressed by, but with the kids that you're working with on maybe how they adapted to the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs of all age can be pretty creative. And so a lot of these kids were able to find ways to deliver their product or service without having to have physical contact. They were working the problem, which is what entrepreneurship is all about. And I think you're right. Tenacity and grit is kind of a core tenet. But it's really about working the problem. And, and so if you can kind of remove emotion from it and just work the problem and figure out a way around it, then, you know, that's how you survive. And, and those that are most adaptable typically are the most successful, at least in this line of work. And so, yeah, I think, you know, um, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when adversity comes up or you go through trials or you have, you know, big challenges, that's also the time when you sometimes have the most opportunity. And so I know a lot of our students created mask companies. So they were, they were selling masks that they made and, um, you know, selling uh, delivery services and all kinds of things, taking advantage of the situation and, and, and delivering something valuable to people that needed it in a time of great challenge. And so, I don't know, a lot of opportunities come up when there's uh, hardship. And so it's just a matter of kind of taking a, a look at it from a positive light and seeing what you can do with it. I will say that, you know, the COVID experience for us hasn't been that traumatic as a company and, and for a lot of our kids because we teach how to deal with that from the beginning. And so for us in our curriculum and, and our mantra, and even when I'm mentoring companies today that are run by adults, um, and I've mentored dozens and dozens of them, the biggest thing we teach is, is having a margin of safety. And so creating buffer both in a business 
uh, sense and also in a personal sense. And so we really encourage businesses that we mentor and even kids at a young age to, to sock away and keep, you know, six to 12 months of operating expenses in cash um, somewhere in reserve so that if you have to shut down for a little while, you have time to figure out how to fix the problem and work around it and start generating sales and, and revenue and, and finding new customers again. At the same time, we encourage kids to also keep, you know, six to 12 months of personal expenses on hand. And so if you've got a car payment or rent or other things, we really recommend having a, a savings uh, that can support you for six to 12 months without generating any income. And if you're able to do to those two things where your business has buffer and you personally have buffer, then you almost have two years to kind of figure it out. And, uh, and that really provides a lot of stability for you in your personal life and also in your business. So life is just a heck of a lot stressful. If you're running on thin margins and, and you've got two weeks of savings left in the business, then, hey, that, that doesn't provide you a whole lot of time to, to, to make corrections if, if you have a storm approaching. And so uh, we kind of instill that from the beginning and we want kids to kind of practice that discipline now and even adults. And it just makes being an entrepreneur so much less stressful and so much easier. And I was going to ask on, you know, really with the adaptations of some of these kids and especially kind of the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, were, I guess, schools and local organizations very adaptable well, or were they very collaborative with your organization on teaching entrepreneurship to, you know, younger generations? Absolutely. And I think that's what's interesting about it is I think, you know, I think COVID was kind of a catalyst. You, you had a lot of changes that needed to happen in the education sector that, you know, kind of had been waiting to happen for many, many years. And COVID kind of forced it. And so you start incorporating more technology in the curriculum. You start individualizing uh, education. And there's a lot of just exciting things that have been happening, including schools really taking a look at what they need to do to prepare, uh, prepare their kids for the real world. And entrepreneurship uh, is, is one of those things. And so for us, it's been really exciting to see that schools are really excited about this. And so when we reach out to schools, we usually get a very warm response of, hey, we've been thinking about this the last few months. Hey, this is definitely something we want to expose our kids to. Uh, you know, we were just looking for a way to do it and we didn't have structure. We didn't have curriculum. And so schools have been extremely adaptable just because they had to be, you know, mothers, uh, uh, you know, necessity is a mother of all invention. Well, Hey, COVID created a great necessity. And, and so it's created a lot of innovation and in in, uh, education in the last two years. And so it, for, for us, it's been a really exciting time. Now I know schools and teachers have had to deal with a lot. And they've certainly been very busy kind of rolling with the punches and understanding new requirements and having to deal with a lot. There's been a lot on their plate. And so that's been tough. Um, and so I definitely sympathize with them. And so our, our job has just been make it as simple as possible to for them to be able to offer these kinds of programs in their school and make the setup really easy for the teachers. And so if they're able to do that, then these kids are being able to exp be exposed to you know, this, this new way of thinking. And so when they leave class, you know, they're entering the real world, understanding how to be adaptable and how to be, you know, self-reliant and self-dependent and to be able to generate, you know, income for themselves. And, and, you know, the new generation is going to have to be able to 
understand they're gonna they're ne- probably gonna be in multiple careers throughout their life and so they you know our grandparents age they would go work for a big company and stay with them their entire career that's just not the case now most of the time you're in in my generation you're probably in seven or eight different businesses throughout your career the next generation is going to be in entirely different industries so they may work for a few years in one industry and have to move to another industry altogether so i think the more they can learn how to learn and be adaptable the better and and we're hoping that we can instill some of those lessons early on and i guess like with kind of those partnerships with uh kind of the school and you're kind of mentioning on you know how insanely collaborative uh things like schools uh were being and you know how well they're able to adapt and um you know very interested in teaching like financial literacy and the lessons of entrepreneurship to younger generations is there any other types of uh, i guess channels that you would really want to be involved with when it comes to the curriculum or you know where you distribute uh some of these business kits That's a great question. I I think for us, um, schools was kind of the initial kind of lowest hanging fruit is like, how do we make the greatest impact uh, with the least amount of effort? And, and so where do we spend our time? And schools was kind of the initial response to that because they're already, they already have the infrastructure in place. They've got the teachers that lead the class. They've, they've got the students, you know, everything's already in place. But with that said, um, something we're looking towards the future are, are two things. Uh, one is natural after-school programs or auxiliary programs that happen outside of school. So Boys and Girls Clubs of America, you know, those kinds of things um, are, are, are something we're looking towards. So if, if you're not able to be in school and, and leverage our curriculum, then maybe you can have access to it through one of these auxiliary programs. Secondly, is we are rolling out a, a direct-to-consumer or at-home version of our curriculum. So you can go online to bossclub.com and order our business kits today. That's for elementary school age kids. But um, until this point, we haven't had a really good solution for middle school and high school. And so we have developed an at-home version of our curriculum uh, so that any student anywhere in the world that wants to learn to start a business can have the curriculum and have a step-by-step process that teaches them the recipe to go do this and uh, really holds their hand and and provides them a great resource so um, that's coming out very soon and so if you're in one of our schools great i recommend you know taking that class if not hey you can go to our website and sign up for that home course and and uh, get a similar experience and so I, i think that's what we're most excited about right now well, to kind of uh, wrap up the conversation, I honestly just had kind of one more question on, you know, any advice that you wanted to give to a entrepreneur starting out, um, you know, primarily with kind of looking on your background and, you know, with kind of some of the past, uh, you know, replies you had, uh, you know, it seems like really within your business, uh, you know, family, you had a lot of family involved, uh, you know, you were kind of in entrepreneurship programs and, you know, had a solid network of other co-founders that you've been able to work with and collaborate with. Do you possibly have any advice for maybe an entrepreneur starting out? Maybe they don't have like a network coming into it. Maybe they have a friend group that's not, you know, as supportive or, you know, they don't have the same type of mindsets, um, you know, as far as like networking. Sure. I think that's a great question. And I, I think I want to, I, I think in early in my career, I was part of, you know, a lot of networking groups, especially in Dallas. 
And um, nothing against those. But what I found is that the time I spent there, I, I wasn't getting the, re the return on the time spent because you're meeting all kinds of different people. And that's not a bad thing. It's certainly great from a, a relationship and just social standpoint. So if you're looking for social connections, hey, go for it. That's a great place to go. But for me, uh, I, I take a different approach when it comes to mentors and advisors and people to help me in business. And that is actually looking for people that have already you know, accomplish the things I want to accomplish in my specific industry. And so whenever we start a business now, I usually go to LinkedIn and do reverse searches. So you can search for people who are currently in a particular role or position at, at a large company or maybe founded a large company in your industry. Or you can look for people that used to work in your industry. And so that used to part has been really invaluable for me. So let me give you an example um, with True Coffee. So we were launching that coffee side project. Um, I was trying to figure out the marketing model because selling coffee, especially exotic coffee, is, is very different than selling anti-aging skincare products. And it's a different target market. The, the channel is different. The, the audience is different. And I, I was having a hard time kind of cracking that nut and figuring out how to generate sales. And so I went on LinkedIn and I simply searched for people that previously worked for my competitors. And um, I found 10 that were in, you know, a C-level position or, you know, VP of marketing. So I was looking for kind of marketing or C-suite folks. And I messaged all 10. And I just said, hey, you know, I'm David. I'm, I've, I'm an entrepreneur. I've started True Coffee Company. I want to sell this kind of coffee, make this kind of impact. I'm looking for help generating sales and figuring out how to crack this nut. Would you mind jumping on a call with me? And, and it was interesting is that four out of 10 responded. And uh, one was the ex-co-founder of one of my competitors that had left. And uh, another was the CMO, another VP of marketing, and someone else was in operations. And so I jumped on the phone with him. I just told him what I was trying to do and explained to him the problems I was facing. And all of them were extremely generous. And I, I, I wasn't trying to get industry secrets or anything from them. I was just looking for help. And they were extremely helpful. And I sent them some free coffee and we maintained the relationship. And I just said, hey, would you mind if I gave you a call once a month just to check in and get some advice? And I'd be happy to continue to send you some free coffee if, if you're up for it. And it's interesting because they were extremely like gracious in that regard. And so not everyone's going to say yes, but you don't need everyone to say yes. You just need a few. And so instead of, I guess, kind of taking the shotgun approach to networking, I'd really encourage you to go after specific people who have done what you're trying to go accomplish and already have that experience and have those industry connections and are square in the center of the bullseye of, of what you're trying to do and the type of help you need. And if you can do that, it's going to get you so much farther, so much faster. Um, and it's going to avoid a lot of the, I guess, thrashing that can come with networking in between. So I, I don't know, that's my advice. And if you're an early uh, entrepreneur and this is your first company or two, you need those people um, because you are certainly going to make mistakes as, as we all do, but especially early on. And if you can have some of those people in your, in your court backing you up, supporting you, um, you'll avoid a lot of those mistakes or at least know how to get out of them. And so that, that's definitely my advice is find some smart people who have done it and go have them teach you how to do it. For sure, David. Well, I honestly, you know, wanted to thank you again, not just, not just like explaining kind of, uh, you know, what you've done at Boss Club and your kind of other entrepreneur projects and ventures in the past, 
but also be able to give, you know, great advice for, you know, any upcoming startup or, you know, entrepreneur in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, um, yeah, just be able to kind of spotlight and share stories as well of any, you know, kids involved with the Boss Club, um, you know, experience, whether it was the, you know, business kits or the school curriculum. Um, you know, I thought it was really great advice and information for you to share. Um, you know, I think this is a, a really, you know, great interview for anyone interested on, you know, starting their first business. And, you know, I just wanted to thank you again, David, for being able to share that information. Uh, no problem at all. And I appreciate being invited. I mean, this is the center of what, what I'm passionate about and what I do. And so um, we're all about creating entrepreneurs and, and helping entrepreneurs be successful and, and figuring out you know, the best way to go do that. And so, you know, I appreciate the time and appreciate uh, being on. And if there's anything I can do to help in the future, uh, by all means, please ask. I, I would love to. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask podcast. Stay connected with us directly through the PlatinumMask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.